Well, I think the, the, the protection around the Olympic Games is actually a benefit for us because the, you know, whilst there are some, some changes, and I, I won't uh, bore your listeners with the intricacies of Rule 40, but, um, you know, the, the fact that there is, you know, various blackouts during, during the Games period, it's actually a very, you know, it's a very positive thing for our, for our partners, and that's what they, they, you know, they invest in. I can't think of any other sports property, possibly even entertainment out there, that is so vehemently protective of, of its sponsors and the, the Olympic movement. Hello and welcome to this, the second episode of a special series exploring sports sponsorship. Today, we are joined by Tim Ellerton, Commercial Director at the British Olympic Association. Before we get into the interview, Murray, it would be great if you could provide a quick intro. So Andy, it's great to have Tim on the show. Tim's got a really impressive sports sponsorship resume. He's currently Commercial Director at Team GB, having joined the BOA in early 2017, I think. Before that, he worked with two of the largest brands in sports sponsorship in Heineken and Coca-Cola. At Heineken, he worked on their global properties, so things like UEFA Champions League, Formula One and Rugby World Cup, which is where I got to know him. And then whilst he was at Coca-Cola GB, he was working on both Coca-Cola's global properties, such as the FIFA World Cup and Olympic Games, and Coke's domestic UK sponsorships of the RFU and Football League. Thanks, Murray. You're absolutely right that it really is some resume. I think the first question I have for Tim, if we now move straight into it, is having made the transition from brand to rights holder side, what would be your observations of the difference between the two? I think the the, the difference is, I guess, is, is the, the variety of this role. You know, I could have any day, I could be talking sofas, beds, supermarkets, sporting goods, house builders, um, online estate agents, you know, and, and the, the the diversity is what I particularly enjoy and, and, and working with clients who across a different range of businesses, uh, trying to answer a range of very different brand and business objectives. Um, so that's bit I enjoy the, the, the most of it. Um, in terms of, you know, being ready for the role and, and what that taught me, I guess it, uh, you know, I felt that having been sold too well, um, yeah, there was obviously good learnings of how that, that was done, but then also kind of having been sold too badly for probably well, not probably, definitely a lot more times than um, being sold too well. And, and what were the learnings I took from that? And how do I put that into my current role? And I think one of the ones, key ones is really understanding that decision-making process that a sponsor goes through before making a you know, fairly sizable investment into, into a sports property. Um, you know, understanding the nuances of their business, how it needs to work, not just across the for brand, but also across whether it's for the for, across HR initiatives, whether it's for all, uh, CSR, comms, et cetera. Um, and helping, you know, a a brand and some of the partners we now on board. I think I'd like to think I've helped them navigate that process so that when they go into their boardroom, they can sell this in the best possible way. Obviously, I can only, you know, I'm very rarely invited into that sanctuary. Um, so it's about preparing them best to make sure that the, the partnership that we propose with them, uh, you know, gets through and we can get cracking and make it work. That's really interesting. Thanks, Tim. Um, the Olympics is rather unique in that it works in a four-year cycle which is quite different to a number of sports properties you've previously worked with. How have you found that change? Yeah, that was probably the biggest kind of culture shock for me, I guess, is having worked on you know, Champions League or Formula One, um, much more you know, year in, year out um, programmes. Obviously, Rugby World Cup is, is you know, every four years, like, like, the, Olymp- like, the, Winter Olymp- oh, sorry, like the, uh, the Olympics. Of course, we have the Winter Olympics every, every two years in between. So, you know, it's, it's not quite so 
quadrennial, if you will, as they say Rugby World Cup. But yeah. I guess the biggest challenge we have, and, and we're doing much more in this area, is to provide value to our partners kind of so much outside of games time. We want the games time we were talking about being the icing on the cake. We want them to have done the hard yards and getting the benefit, the awareness, uh, whatever business objective they're trying or brand objective that they're, they're trying to to solve through the partnership. We want that done and dusted before the games. And then obviously games time is that crescendo. And that's when, of course, you know, <clears throat> everyone's talking and watching the Olymp- and, and, and engaging with the, 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 the Olympic Games, whether that's through the handset, through the TV, reading it in the newspaper, talking about it with their friends, posting it on their social, whatever it might be. So that that's our that's the biggest challenge we have. And I think we've got a lot of things in place to, to to make us even you know more appealing to to brands in what we you know the down years if you will um and i think you know we, we, as i said at the start you know we, we have these nine or ten ioc sanctioned events across the each quad everything in olympic world is, is done in a quad in the four-year period albeit now five with the, the games being postponed so it's up to us to 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 generate additional value that doesn't just rely on the, the olympic games themselves um but of course yeah there we have fmcg partners who uh, if you go into your supermarkets, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see promotions with some of those brands. Of course, Aldi are one of our biggest partners. You know, every, every single day you go into Aldi, you're, 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 you're confronted in a, in a positive way with their association between, between uh, Team GB and, 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 and their entire organization. So you know, there's, a, there's a, lot, a lot of value you get outside of the games time, but we just want the games time to be the peak that it, it deserves. Another unique characteristic for the Olympics is how protective they are of their sponsor program. So what challenges does that present to you in your role at Team GB? Well, I think that the, the, the protection around the Olympic Games is actually a benefit for us because the, you know, whilst there are some, some changes, and I, I won't uh, bore your listeners with the intricacies of Rule 40, but, um, you know, the, the fact that there is, you know, various blackouts during during the games period, it's actually a very, you know, it's a very positive thing for our, for our partners. And that's what they, they, you know, they invested. I can't think of any other sports property, possibly even entertainment out there that is so vehemently protective of, of its sponsors than the, the Olympic movement. Um, you'll, you'll recall back in London 2012, when you know, all outdoor advertising sites, you know, kind of pretty much in London were, 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 were reserved for partners of, you know, LOCOG and, and, and the Olympic and the IOC. So, um, you actually think that's a, that's a big positive. Uh, I guess the key difference around you know, Olympics is is you know, the collateral or the inventory that you get. It, it, we're not. It's not a. It's not. People aren't buying it in as, as a big media play. We're not. You know, eyeballs on the TV through LED branding around the side of a football pitch. We don't have a. You know, we don't have a stadium. We don't have thirty-five thousand people coming to our venue every other weekend. Which you know, obviously, in the last eighteen months, that's probably been quite a benefit. But prior to that, that was always seen as potentially for some brands as a bit of a weakness. So. You know, our job is to 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 you know explain and and help brands through you know what is quite a complex world, Olympic marketing. Uh, we do that through um, you know we, we try and share a number of case studies, not only from our own partners, which of course we're very proud of their work, but you know certain categories, especially we're talking to categories that we, we haven't currently got. You know, we we go around the world and and see who's doing that well, and whether it's in Australia, America, Canada, or, or wherever it might be, and. And share insight and examples of how Olympic marketing can be done. Um, and I think that's what that also what makes it, you know, so so unique is that it. I think it fits, you know, a, across a, biz, a brands and a, a, a businesses uh, remit far better than perhaps other sponsorships out there. Um, I think you know we're not just 
about, as I say, we're not just looking for marketing spend. We're looking to appeal to the director of HR. We, of course, want the price to be sensible, to appear, appeal to the CFO. Um, but I think what we can do in, in areas such as corporate social responsibility and, and more purpose-driven uh, activations and activities from our partners is, is you know, is, is probably what gives us a bit of an advantage at the moment. So once you get past that initial, well, where does my logo go and on that bit, and sometimes you, you do have to explain that you're not going to have your logo emblazoned on the, the end of the 100-meter race. Once we've got through that, and we can then start identifying areas from which the business can benefit from across the board. And I think that's where, that's where we've had some success recently, certainly. Do you think you have to be much more creative and innovative than people selling other events where you're not so restrictive on things like logos on shirts and perimeter boards and things like that? Do you think it forces you and your team to be more flexible with what you offer a sponsor, but also more creative with how you approach it? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, I think, you know, we, we try and pride ourselves is when we're going to, to a prospective partner or, or helping our current partners with their activations, we want to you know, have a seat at the table of that creative um, uh, process, if you will. And in, in some cases, we've pitched ideas, you know, that you know, I think some advertising agencies out there and, and digital agencies would be, would be proud of because we need to show how you bring it to life in the absence of that brand recognition that you get from say, having the logo emblazoned on a shirt around the side of a racetrack or on the side of a rugby field or, or whatever it might be. So we need to almost kind of say, well, this is why Team GB works for you and this is how you're going to make it work, whether it's below the line, above the line, content play, data acquisition, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I look at my, my, myself at Champions League, you know, a lot of the value, of course, when I was at Heineken was, was through the media component of that. Um, yes, we did activate in... in 150 plus markets but you know, a lot of it is driven through the media inventory that you get which of course we don't have in, in for, for olympics so it's therefore you know, the onus is on us and, and myself and the team to show the art of the possible um and, and what can be done through whether it's a, a above the line and below the line packaging etc and, and how we bring that to life and, and i think once you take a cmo or director of marketing on that journey with you i think they quite like you know the opportunities that we present we're not as restrictive as perhaps you know, other other rights holders out there and, and we, we do kind of give them quite an open basket if you will of, of what, what can be done um it's just getting over that initial hurdle of, of understanding the nuances of of you know, activation being paramount and, and obviously there's no reliance on the media media element because it's, it's, it's largely not there yeah i also have the sense that because what you're doing is quite causal getting athletes and coaches and other people involved is perhaps a little easier because they see that these sponsors are actually helping to fund the team and get them to the games. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, we always talk about our athletes being extraordinary people achieving... Um, sorry, got it completely wrong. Got, they are ordinary people achieving extraordinary things. Sorry. Um, and I think that's such a good mantra that we use as part of any of our narrative with, with any of our partners as, uh, and prospective ones as well. Um, it's that accessibility, it's that humility, it's that being down to earth. We talk about how, you know, they train in the same gyms and swimming pools as we do. We might just do 20 lengths of the pool and they've probably done 200 in the same time. So, you know, they, they are incredible human beings. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the, the heroes that we'll see and, and will come to fruition, I'm sure, in a few weeks' time, 90-something percent of the country will probably never have heard of. Um, but they will do when they start winning gold, gold medals and, 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 uh, and hopefully come, coming back uh, as, as you know, medal-winning athletes. So, 
Um, and it's not all about winning medals, of course. You know, there'll be there'll be stories around athletes, you know, whether it's achieving a personal best or overcoming, you know, uh, you know difficulties in life to even make the start line. Uh, and of course, the last eighteen months or fifteen, eighteen months has 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 will have many stories like that, I'm sure. So, yeah, the athletes are, of course, such an important part of, of, of what we do. There are a kind of reason to exist, if you will, to make sure, and that's a big mantra for us, especially now, is to make sure we get every athlete to the start line healthy and, and, and ready to compete uh, and our partners you know have uh, contracted with many of them in order to provide above the line and below the line activities as you'd expect but also play a big role internally so the number of athletes that are appearing at you know whether it's virtually or hopefully soon more physically uh, you know annual conferences doing a lot of work with um, galvanizing their, their teams you know uh, hr um, function utilizing the athletes they're such inspirational role models with such a story to tell oh i couldn't agree more i went to loughborough university so more often than not i had to suffer that kind of humiliation if i ever ventured into the gym or the pool anyway talking of comparisons uh my last question to you would be this when you look at other rights holders in the sports sponsorship business who is it that you benchmark yourself against I, mean, I think benchmarks is, is a difficult one because of the unique nature of what the Olympics is and, and what selling a Team GB partnership is. Um, so it's quite difficult. I mean, we, we, we track a lot of research, whether it's, you know, how, how what we're against what the England football team or Scottish or Irish Welsh football team are up to, the British and Irish Lions, say. But it, it, it's, it, as the Olympic, you know, the Olympic movement is so unique. It's, it's difficult to... To, to find a benchmark, if you will, it's something quite different. It's probably the only sports brand in the country that, you know, is really John O'Groats, Land's End and, and ev everything in between. Um, you know, other than say that the British Irish Lions, which only go for every four years, and with respect, you know, I'm one of the biggest rugby fans out there, the reach of rugby is, is not nowhere near of, of Olympic sport for obvious reasons. So benchmarking is, is tough in that respect. In terms of who I personally you know, admire and think they do a good job, I mean, there's probably a little bit of bias here having, you know, worked with them and, and I guess been a customer of theirs for a number of years but if you take someone like team marketing working on behalf of UEFA you look at the the retention levels of the Champions League it is pretty strong with only you know one or two brands falling away you know every so often in, in the last two or three cycles certainly but their retention of whether it's Heineken over 20 plus years you know Adidas for a, a long period of time within that MasterCard over 20 plus years same with PlayStation you know, I think anyone who's managing to retain sponsors for that level of time, you know, I think that's that's certainly all I would doff my cap to. Okay. Uh, what do you think it is specifically that UEFA are doing right? Um, what I think they do very well is they're very protective, you know, in the same way the Olympic movement is, of that brand. So you go to a Premier League football stadium on a Saturday and, you know, it, it, there are a lot of brands involved and it's all a bit of a kind of can be a bit of a mishmash depending on which stadium you're in of, of what's going on. You go to the stadium on the Wednesday night for the for the Champions League evening and it's kind of all covered up and it's very clear that it's the UEFA show and, and the Champions League, the UEFA Champions League show and, and they're the only one in town. Um, and I think a very consistent brand as well. They don't change it very often. There's a few nuances here and there. They've changed well with the times, but it's hugely aspirational, <clears throat> whether it's something, you know, the, the identity of the star ball, whether it's the anthem they play when they come out at the beginning of the game, all that kind of stuff. I think brands love it. And, and also, you know, and, and that's why they are re retaining uh, the, the level of quality of brands that they're able to and attracting new ones and, and moving with the times as well. All right. Well, that concludes our conversation with Tim. However, I do have my co-host Murray Barnett alongside me now. 
Murray, having listened to the conversation back, I'd firstly like to say thank you to Tim, but also to yourself for lining up such a wonderful uh, first guest. I think the most interesting part for me was Tim's perception that the restrictions around the Olympics were a strength and the fact that he then again brought that up in his praise for the Champions League too. As our resident expert and someone that's worked closely with Tim in the past, what should our listeners take away from that? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting take. I think the other side to this is because there are restrictions on what a, a, a BOA partner can do, generally speaking, they're a lot more creative uh, in the ways that they approach it than they would do a normal sponsorship. Because I think in a normal sponsorship, where you do get a lot of media value, you tend to perhaps rest on your laurels a little bit as opposed to really trying to get creative and make that sponsorship work for you. And, you know, I think Purple Breaks was a great example of that, where, you know, they've done a fantastic job of activating and thinking about their sponsorship in a different way. Yeah, it's interesting to see how Purple Bricks, for example, have activated their BOA partnership through TV advertising campaigns. I guess that comes down to most rights holders not being able to be as inclusive and not wishing to alienate fans of rival teams. 100%. And, you know, offline, you and I were talking about a bunch of different examples, whether it's, you know, Liverpool or, or others, where, you know, the partisan nature of a particular club's brand or fan group means that it can be a turnoff for people that aren't fans of that. And that's the unique advantage that a BOA sponsorship has is that it's really the whole nation getting behind the team uh, rather than it being focused around a particular fan group. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll all be getting behind Team GB in the coming weeks. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. A huge thanks to Tim for joining us and a massive thanks to you for listening along. We'll be back again soon with another episode, this time from Zara Al-Qudzi from Formula One. Make sure to follow us or subscribe on whichever platform you get your podcast to not miss out. You can also subscribe to my weekly sports newsletter at sportspundit.org.